Amen. You may be seated. It is so beautiful to see God's people love on each other. It is so amazing to see us love on each other. You know, the Bible says that the world will know us by our love. And they'll know the Lord by our love that we have for one another. Before um, I go into the message, I I would like um, us to worship a little bit. And uh, this is my prayer, and hopefully it's all of our prayers to the Lord. And if you know this song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living. One more time. Lord, prepare me. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Now, can you hum that for me? Hmm? Father, we invite you, Lord. Lord, we invite you to move among us. Father, open our eyes and ears that we might see you. Lord, prepare us, O God, to receive from you. With thanksgiving, God, we'll be that living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Isn't the presence of Jesus wonderful? Isn't he glorious? Well, we've been doing, and we are in the middle of, a series on prayer. And I know that all of you 
know the importance of prayer. Prayer is and should be the foundation of everything that we do. You know, I'm going to be speaking on serving like Jesus, but I very well could be speaking on praying like Jesus. Because everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said was bathed in his communion and in his relationship with his Father. In the same way, God is asking us for that relationship with him. And then when we're in that intimate relationship with him through prayer, God will place his agenda on our hearts. How many of us want God's agenda? See, I know it's natural and human to have our own agenda. It's natural and human to, to be selfish and to center life all around us. But there's something about when we go to God and we're in communion with God and we listen to God, God will place his agenda on us. And God will give us his heart on what he would have us to do. How many of you know that we're much more effective when we operate on his agenda? Jesus says in John 15, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. There's something powerful about having that union, that relationship, that intimacy with the Lord so much that he will bear the fruit for us. Church, there's nothing like eating the fruit of a life in relationship with Jesus that is bearing much fruit. I want to propose this morning that if what we do or what we say does not originate from the heart of God and in line with the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God, we have done it all in vain. We can save all kinds of folks from the fire. We can feed all kinds of folks. You know, we can do all kinds of things. And we can call ourselves serving. But College Hill Presbyterian Church, if we do not follow the heart of God, our work will be in vain. We don't want our work to be in vain because we want our work to glorify our Father who's in heaven. Don't forget that everything that we ever want to do or everything that God has ordained for us to do has already been prepared for us to do. The Word of God says in Ephesians 2 that He has prepared every good work, that we are His workmanship. So just think about it. Everything that we want to accomplish Every giftedness inside of us, God has already placed there within us. And so our job is not so much to seek after service. Our job isn't so much to run after every need. 
Our service isn't always to, to rescue the poor. Isn't our service to be faithful to what God has already ordained for us to do? Can we trust God enough that we will be faithful in what he has called us to do? This comes from a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. This comes from a prayer life where we go into our closet or, or, we, or we come collectively and we seek the heart and the voice of God. I want us to turn to, uh, if you have um, the Pew Bible, it's page 954, but to Philippians, the second chapter. And here Paul is writing to the Philippian church. And he's admonishing the Philippian church in this letter. And he's admonishing them to, to be united, to have unity. You know, Pastor Drew preached last Sunday from John 17 where Jesus prayed that priestly prayer that all those whom in his church would be one. In the same way, Paul has this heart for God's people that we be unified. And then through the unity, we will find service. But if you would read with me, starting with verse 1, Philippians 2, if we read together. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy... And of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. In the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In our society, we are bombarded with media, we're bombarded with things all around us, even at work, even at play, all around us we're seeing a me generation. Everything that we, when we turn on the television, is, it's about me. How can I succeed? How can I get better? You know, when we go to the bookstore, it's all about the self-help books. And in church, there's nothing wrong with, with the self-help books, but when we're breeding a generation that's only focused on me, there's a disastrous end. It really is wrong, the survival of the fittest. We shouldn't only be looking out for our own needs, our own ambitions, but God is calling us to a higher calling. He's calling us 
to serve like Jesus. And so Paul addresses the Philippian church in this powerful scripture of a church that we see in the previous chapter is going through suffering. And Paul wants to encourage them and he, he wants them that in the midst of your suffering, be careful that you don't become self-focused. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of all the things that you're going through, be careful that you don't have selfish ambition. Church, in the midst of all that's around you and all that draws you in of the media, be careful that you don't get sucked in and everything is all about me. And I believe God is even speaking to the church today, especially the church in America, where we have developed a human-shaped gospel, where the gospel is all about getting me to heaven, where the gospel is all about saving me, where the gospel is all about making me better and making me an overcomer. As opposed to the gospel being about a God that so loved the world. That he sent his son to die for this wretched world. And that we are being conformed to the image of him. Where God is not being conformed to the image of us. So often the church has become so self-centered. That it's all about me. All about my needs. All about my preferences. I might get an ouch here, but sometimes all about our worship. Girl, they ain't singing the right song that I like. Man, I only get, enter into worship when they sing, I love you, Lord, I lift my voice. But I really like the hymns because they speak theology and that's the only way we can worship God because that's the way I like it. Churches has crept into us that selfish tendency to think that everything is about us. That when we come to church, it's about meeting my need. It's about satisfying my appetite. Where God wants us to think about maybe there's someone else that needs me today. Maybe when I come to church, I'll give someone a smile that has never been smiled at. Or maybe I'll come in contact with someone who's depressed today, and maybe my hug will bless them. Maybe God wants to transform our way of being so self-centered about it's all about me till it's all about him. Oh, my God. Can you imagine a group of people gathered together and it's all about Jesus? When they come to worship, not expecting a song and dance that's going to please their preference, but coming to worship because they're looking for the presence of God. They're coming to worship with an expectancy that God will move and that they might bless somebody else. College Hill Presbyterian Church, it's possible. It's possible that we can come with an expectancy to meet God and he will be here with bluegrass music. Come on, somebody. It really is possible 
That we can come with an expectancy that God would do a great thing and heal hearts and heal souls with classical music. It really is possible that we can come in and, 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 and God move in such miraculous ways and, and people feel his presence so much in, 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 in Latin beat music or African music. It's not about the mold. It's about the heart. And here Paul is reminding the Philippian church, come on folks, I know you're going through some stuff. I know you're suffering. But if you have any encouragement, if you really know Jesus, in other words, you know, if, if, if you have any fellowship of his spirit, I mean, if you're, if you're really filled with him, If you, if, if you have any compassion or sympathy, which the Lord has given, and, and, and Paul, may, and this is the main verb in the Greek, he says, make my joy complete. Fill me up with joy. Because Paul is so, this is such a strong uh, emphasis for Paul that, that he wants his church to be whole and mature. He says, make my joy complete. That, that yes, you've been saved, you've been set free, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're loving and he says, make my joy but complete by being of one accord and one mind. And he, and he describes that by saying in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Oh my God. That is so hard. Because I came to get mine today. It's so hard when all the society tells me that I should live for me. When society tells me, young people, that I should get my stuff right now. Too bad on you. I need to get my stuff right now. And unfortunately, because of the fall, because of sin in our world, selfishness is our propensity. Has anyone ever stubbed their toe or hit their finger with a hammer or, or, or in an, an, an amazing pain. Your first thing is relief. Your first thing is all about self. You want to find something to free you up. But I'm here to propose this morning that God is so radical. God is what I call crazy. God is so out of ordinary that he will call us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our self-ambition, that we think about somebody else first. What a radical God we serve. Go figure. God, I'm the one that's hurting. I'm the one that's in pain. Yet you want me to minister to somebody else? This is the heart of Paul when he says, make my joy complete. And, and, and so the question is, oh, Paul, how are we supposed to do this? Paul, this is impossible. Paul, I can't do it. Paul, it's, it's too much. I need it to be all about me. And then Paul points them to, well, let me show you how. Let me show you your example. Jesus. He says, let each of you, in verse 4, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. 
my, my, my. That messes me up. Doesn't that mess you up? Because, you know, I want my stuff. I want it to be all about me. I want all the glory. Doesn't that mess you up? When, 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 when you want to be the star, when you want all the accolades, when you want to be seen, doesn't that mess you up when it says, have that same mind that's in Christ Jesus? You know, when, when you're the big corporate executive and yet God is asking you to go and feed the homeless, you're like, oh, that's, oh I can't do that. I can't touch that. Or, 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 or you're that, that great CEO, CEO and, 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 and we have the whiz kids and, and God might be tugging on your heart to go tutor a child. And you're like, oh, I, they're, they're from another culture. They're, 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 they're from another socioeconomic. I can never do that. Yet Paul gives us the example that God himself, who became a man. So God who was the most loftiest, the most greatest, who was before time even began, he himself emptied himself and became a man so that others might live. Ain't you glad? Ain't you glad that God saw interests other than his own? That he so humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross? In the same way, Paul is encouraging and admonishing the Philippian church, and I believe the Holy Spirit today is encouraging and admonishing us at College Hill Presbyterian Church that we need to humble ourselves before God and look not only to our own interests but to the interests of others. But as we look at Jesus. See, because we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. We need the unfilling of God by the power of his Holy Spirit that he might live through us. Didn't Paul say in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What? Not I, but what? That's how we do it, church. Sometimes the sacrifice has to come in order that others might live. So I want us to look at some of these characteristics of Jesus. Serve like Jesus. If you can put up that list for me. It's the seven characteristics of Jesus. The seven characteristics of service exemplified from Jesus. As I was studying the scriptures and just looking through Philippians and, and, and really allowing that to come into my heart, into my life. And as I read and I see Jesus' life, because I love to study Jesus. One of the first things I see that Jesus was a man of prayer. If you can show that for us. Our prayer life. If we really want to serve like Jesus, church, we're going to have to pray like Jesus. And let me give my little definition of prayer. Prayer is our communion with God. Prayer is our communication with God. Prayer is not only our petitions and our requests uh, unto God, but prayer is our silence before God where we hear God speak. 
Prayer isn't so much about us changing God. Prayer is more of us being changed by God. Have you ever gone into prayer and, and you're praying for something or praying for someone or, 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 or praying that, that God would do something to somebody, you know, because somebody's treating you wrong? Have you ever done that? I'm going to sick God on you. Have you ever? I, I've said that. You know, I, I, I said that in my, in my mind. I'm going to sick God on you. You know, you treat me bad. You know, I'm going to, you know, we get that interpretation of the scriptures wrong where, where he throws hot coals on your head. You know, so I'm going to. But I've done that so many times and, and, and I'm telling God on somebody. And God would say, what about you? There was a time me and my wife, we were, we were, we were in a. Uh, a, a time of arguing and, and, and a time of disagreement and I went into prayer and I, and I said, you know, and I was upset with Jesus. And I said, Jesus, you don't know what it means to be married. <laughs> so how can you speak to me about my wife? You know, G Jesus, how could you ever relate to, you know, the things that's going on you know, because I'm telling on her, of course. You know, Jesus, you know, Jesus, you don't know. You know, you, you, you don't understand, you know, what, what, what's going on. You know, you just, you just hung out with your homies. You were with the boys. So, 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 so you didn't have to deal. And then as I quit my whining for about five minutes, Jesus whispered to me and he said, yes, I do. I'm married to you. That's the power of a prayer life. You may go in there with your agenda in your closet. But I'm telling you, when you're in a sweet communion with your father... In the glory, he will expose things in us. Not for us to stay there, but for us to be healed and, and, and renewed by him. I want to challenge us, College Hill Presbyterian Church, if we really want to serve like Jesus, if we really want to make an impact in our community, if we really want to provide relief for those who are in trouble, pray. Come into that deep relationship with the Lord and allow his life to serve through us. We be shocked and amazed what God can do when we come to him and allow him to do the work and allow him to get the glory. The next characteristics is compassion. My God. When you read, especially in Matthew, and you look at Jesus' life, and, 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 and he would see folks, it says that he was filled with compassion. He was so in tune with the Father through his prayer life that Jesus wouldn't do anything unless he saw the Father doing it. And those things caused his heart to love. When Jesus saw the man with the crippled hand, it says he had compassion. He had love. 
College Hill, I want to challenge us again. If we want to serve like Jesus and we want to serve our community and we want to serve those who are different from us, we got to love. <laughs> and I'm not talking about that fickle love, that, 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 that emotional kind of stuff. We're talking about that sacrificial love. That love that flows from the heart of God. That, that, that love that will touch a leper. That love that will hug a homosexual. That love that will walk with somebody in their pain and in their stress, even when it's inconvenient for us. I heard a preacher once, and he was a prolific preacher. I mean, he could make you uh, jump out your seat, and, and, and he was crazy. But one of the things he said in his sermon... One of the things he said in this sermon was that he didn't like people. He didn't like people. How can you serve through preaching and not love the people whom God has asked you to minister to? But in the same way, as we look at Jesus' life, he was compelled by love and compassion in the same way, when we have the life of Christ, we will love whom he loves. There's no accident they call Jesus a drunkard and a friend of sinners. He hung out with them. He loved them. And church, I firmly believe that not everyone that hung in the presence of Jesus got saved. But you know what? They felt accepted. They felt loved. And so he would hang out with the publicans. He would hang out with the drunkards. He would hang out with the tax collectors. And he would eat dinner with them. So much so that people said he was one of them. But that's because he loved them. I have a sad commentary. We were actually on our way here. And we stopped at a Barnes & Noble. And the guy that was helping me at the cash register had a flower in his head and his hair. Uh, you know, like Lady Sings the Blues, flower. The, the. And, you know, I, and I could, you know, and he was infeminate. And, and, and I could tell, you know, something was going on. And, 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 and so I asked, him, I, I asked him about the flower in his head. I said, is that supposed to symbolize something? And, and he said, actually, I'm going through the process of becoming a woman. And, but then he said, and I said, well, you know, have, have, have folks, because let me tell you what happened. My heart went to him. And I asked him, I said, have folks, like, how do folks receive that, you know, when you, when you, when you share that? And he said, you know, there's varying folks, you know, some folks accept it and, and some folks are repelled against it. And he said, especially Christians. Did you hear what I said, College Hill? His experience is that when Christians hear about what is happening in his life, it's repugnant. They're repelled by him. 
And my heart was just, I, God gave me such an incredible love for him. And I said, I'm a lover of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And I love you. Can I give you a hug? Church, if we want to serve like Jesus, sometimes we got to hug like him too. Indiscriminately, hug someone that smells. Indiscriminately, hug one that doesn't look like us. But it's from the love that comes from God. God loves his broken people. Number three is humble submission. We look at the life of Jesus, and Paul admonishes to have the same mind as Jesus. Jesus was humble. The scriptures are clear how, how he didn't use his deity and his authority as he walked on this earth. He didn't completely show his, his sovereignty as he walked here, but he humbled himself and became a man. In the same way, we cannot serve without the humility that comes from Christ. And humility, humbleness is, is, is a very difficult term in my opinion. And for me, the best way to describe or, or to, to define humility is that when we look at ourselves and we look at the cross, it humbles me. Because let me tell you, church, everyone is level at the cross. You know, some pastors like the apostle and bishop and prelate and all those different titles. Some CEOs or, or some big corporate people like their status. And sometimes out of that status, we call ourselves serving, but it might be more condescending. Because I'm better than you, but I'm going to help you, poor little, poor little person. As opposed to when we serve, it's out of a humility because I'm just like you. It's because of the grace and the blood of Jesus. And I trip like you too. The grace and the blood of Jesus that we're the same. So when we're in connection and communion with the Lord, we'll be humble. I'm going to go quickly. Number four is sacrifice. To serve is sacrifice. It costs something to serve. It's not easy. A lot of the sacrifice is inconvenience. I got my agenda. I got my plan. I want to do what I want to do, and you're interrupting me. You're interrupting my life. That's where some of our hearts are when, 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 when someone is in need or, or God is tugging on us to, to, to be in service to someone. Church, I want you to know there is no service without sacrifice. It will cost you something. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your resources. It will cost you your money. It will even cost you your reputation sometimes. How many of us are serving so much that we're even equated with the folks we're serving? 
That was one of the things I love about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa would be right along in the ditch with those whom she served. I'm going to quote from her. She says, a sacrifice to be real must cost. It must hurt. We must empty ourselves. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. And the fruit of love is service. Service like Jesus will cost. But Paul is saying, take heart. Jesus is your model. Because Jesus sacrificed so much to the point of death so that we might be saved. Number five, identity. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus served out of a posture of confidence. Jesus served out of a posture of knowing that he was beloved of the Father. Sometimes I think it's so unfortunate when we serve and we do it out of low self-esteem. Or we serve because we don't think we're good enough and, 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 and we're lowly and, 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 and we don't deserve something. That is not the correct way to serve. We should serve because we know who we are. And we know whose we are. Serve out of a posture of knowing who you are in Christ. One of my favorite places to go when I was in Africa was in the slums. And I didn't walk through the slums with a suit on. I tried to find the, 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 the most common clothes I could because I wanted to so identify with the people in the slums. But as I walked through, the slums wasn't in me. I knew who I was. But I was able to minister and, 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 and live in the smell and live in the stink and touch those with sores because I knew who I was. In the same way, we must know our identity, which comes from God. Jesus knew who he was. Number six, empowered, not enable. Jesus empowered people. The woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus just could have let her run around when he said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Could have all that he said. But Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus empowered her with a life that she no longer had to live the life that she was living. I'm here to exhort and encourage us, College Hill Presbyterian Church. We can serve. We can give drinks of water. We can feed. We can, we can do all kinds of tutoring and have all kinds of classes. But if we don't empower through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is all done in vain. What good is there to have a stomach filled with food, get a soul that is dying? 
When we minister to children, when we minister to those around us, and when we minister to each other, we are to empower folks, not only economically, not only in ways that they can live a more successful life, but empower them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that if I empower somebody with Jesus, by the power of his spirit, he will teach them how to fish for themselves. He will teach them how to live a godly life. He will teach them by the power of his spirit to be all that they are called to be. So not only enable through our serving, but like Jesus, we should empower. And lastly, number seven, as we serve, always do it to the glory of God. We all know that the glory is all about shining the light on. So when we give that piece of bread, when we give that drink of water, we do it in the name of Jesus. We do it for the glory of God. Lord, I don't do it. Even, sometimes I don't even want to do it, God, but I do it for your glory. God is hurting my back every time I bend down to wash feet, but I do it for your glory. God, I don't want the, all the, the accolades. God, I don't want to be seen. God, I do it for your glory. Jesus did miracles and performed great feats and they weren't for the feats in themselves. He didn't feed the 5,000 just for their stomachs to be, fit, to be filled. He fed them for a greater purpose. And the greater purpose was for the glory of God. That they would receive an eternal food that they would never hunger again. And all that we say and do is for the glory of God. Paul said, look not to your own interests. But look to the interests of others. Look to Jesus. He's our example. He will show us the way. Our most effective service to and for others flows from our relationship with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Service flows from a place of communion and identification with Jesus. It's part of our DNA. That's why we're called servants. Do you know the only title that we'll hear in heaven isn't that we'll hear that we're ushers, that we're elders, that we're deacons, that we're apostles, that we're priests. The word that we'll hear in heaven is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Ha! Our DNA is to serve because our DNA has been bought with a price through Jesus. The living out of our relationship with the Father is through our service. Service is our partnership with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. College Hill, may we be people who are called by his name, who seek his face, who pray. May we be a people that fall on our face and prostrate before God and say, Lord, we don't know how to, how to deal with this neighborhood. God, we don't know how to deal with the situations that we're facing. God, we don't know, but you know, God, you have an agenda for us. You have a plan for us. May we hear from heaven. And as we hear from heaven, God will give us the boldness and the, and, 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 and the clarity and the plans to accomplish his work. Let's serve like Jesus. He is our model. He is our guide. That he might receive the glory. Amen.